Hi, I'm Rachel. No. This is actually the first line right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. We are here. And Adriana is shaking her head at me because she is annoyed with me already, which is going to be the entire crux of this entire podcast. Welcome. Uh, to We Fucking Descent because we literally descent with everything that happens in the justice system. And that's what this. Broken. And that's what this is going to be all about. Um, so, first off, thank you guys for tuning in. This was obviously something that I. This is Rachel, by the way. I've considered for a long time, but Adriana and I just did this on a whim and literally dove full blown headfirst into the shallow end. Hopefully not. Um, Which is also like really appropriate. So yeah, with, with our lifestyle and our life choices right now. So hopefully this will do better than we are. <laughs> um. So yeah. So we decided on the name. We fucking descent because. We actually fully dissent with everything that happens with the criminal justice system in Florida and the whole country, honestly. And that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast is our justice system as a whole and the lack of justice that there actually is um, with our jobs, with the public, all the things. Um, we're also going to talk a lot about being an attorney and being professional and being a woman in this world in 2021. Because that shit sucks. And walking into a courtroom sometimes as a young woman and even, you know, into prison yesterday to deal with my clients, it just, it, it's it's a totally different layer of something else that you have to deal with that I think most people are really unaware of. I, uh, I feel like some of you will be here from TikTok. And so I actually, like my first real lawyer TikTok was about, I made a, a rap. Oh, God. A literal rap. You made a rap? I haven't heard this. Oh, yeah. I, I literally. Your rap. I pounded on my kitchen counter. Oh, no. Because I went to court <laughs> the first time post-COVID and someone at the security, like you have to walk through security when you go to court, and somebody literally said to me, are you, which, which courtroom are you going to? And I was like, oh, I have a hearing in front of Judge Smith. I don't know the judge's name. And... He was like, oh, great. Well, the court reporters don't have to go in until right before the hearing. And I looked at him and I was like, well, good thing I'm not a court reporter. Good thing I'm a partner in my law firm. Um, And he went stone, like, so white. It was embarrassing. So I made this this video about it. It literally was like, I'm a criminal lawyer. It was was pretty good. But so that just is a little small (laughs) example of what we'll talk about, just like the things that we experience that men do not, unfortunately. Because it still is a very male-based profession, the good old boys. Well, not even just that. I think it's not just men. It's just society. It's it's everybody. It's it's seeing two young women who are doing the type of law that we are doing, and people are genuinely surprised by it. And they don't expect us to be doing it. So it's a lot of it's a lot of preconceived judgment that you and I pick up on really quickly because we know, right? We know what we're doing, and we know what they think. Right. So we're going to talk about that a lot because that's like the day-to-day now. We're also going to talk a lot about surviving law school, um, how we got through it, the things you need to know. You know, we know there's a lot of potential. Don't be like us. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like do as I say, not as I did because, I mean, I got arrested. So we're going to talk about that. It's fine. I came to my house. I went to Adriana's house the next morning. Um, so it, it is one of those moments where it's like your parents say, like, listen, don't do what I did, but just exp- accept my advice and do better. Um, but we survived and we did well. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk a lot about, like, our perspective on, like, our current cases that we have. Also cases out in the world, the public cases, the media cases. And we're just going to kind of talk about all the things in between and our opinions on all of that. And hopefully – provide some of you with guidance on either yes I absolutely want to ruin my life by becoming a lawyer or I absolutely do not want to do that totally kidding you will not ruin your life but just a lot of insight and then for those of you that don't want to be lawyers just hopefully some really fun humorous banter and the total you know telling of what the criminal justice system is actually like and what we need to change in our country and why when a lot of people talk about different ways to fix this, when we start to look at everything, it starts to come down to the kids. Yeah. 
So it's kind of like is a good segue. So <laughs> this is kind of funny how we got here. Um, so as you guys will see, Adriana and I are very different people. But the same. But the same. Our souls have become one. But she is, I said, I said it the other day, the hippie dippy version of me. Um, well, probably. True. But like on steroids. So, um, yeah, we have. We have the same viewpoints, but also different. Like, how we got here is very different. Um, do you want to start with how you got here first, or do you want me to? Um, just to this room, or to? Your life. How you got to this room. Your life in general. Oh, God. I'm like I'm not, on a talk show. I'm not the beginning just yet, but graduating law school, my first job was as a, uh, as a law clerk for the Second District Court of Appeal. And one of the main things that I was tasked with at that time was reviewing all of the post-conviction appeals that actually Rachel would file, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned about the court system and the law through reviewing the cases for the judge's eyes because I had to kind of recommend to the judge what it was that they should do. And to be fair, I actually tried to like convince Adriana on multiple occasions to give me the ins and outs. Like, yeah. how do I actually get my case in front of a good judge? Like, what, are, what do I need to know? And she... I will say, was never willing to help me with that. So that continue. is untrue. <laughs> I'm trying to protect your dignity here. Okay, you're fine. Uh, that's not untrue. But um, during my time as a second DCA law clerk, I also became a yoga teacher. And so I had a whole different part of my life open up. And as I became a yoga teacher, I met a woman. Um, I'm sure maybe one day we'll talk to her. She'd be an interesting yes. person to talk to. Uh, her name was Maria, and Maria and I did yoga together. And Maria looked at me one day, and she said, you clerk for the second DCA? And I said, yeah. She said, send me your resume. And about a year later, she offered me an interview with what is now my office. And what that what, what that is, um, we're an agency of the state, and I do post-conviction death penalty appeals. So I do what Rachel does, but all of my clients are on death row and we're in, are indigent death row inmates. So... Um, that's how I got here. I got here through kind of falling out of law school, loving appellate work, doing moot court in law school, and knowing that that was a thing I loved. Prior to law school, I had done um, political work. I worked for several Tampa city council and county commission candidates, mayor candidates, um, and some federal stuff, and really learned that I cared about changing the system, which all kind of ties back in here. And... Uh, yeah, I, I I learned um, quite a bit there and quite a bit at the court, and now I am working in this area, and now Rachel and I are doing this. So, your turn. <laughs> so, I don't think we even said this, but Adriana and I met in law school. Yeah, day one. Day one. Um, so, we went to, yeah, we went to Stetson University College of Law in Gulfport, Florida, which is right by St. Petersburg, for those of you that don't know. I did not know. And they make you do this, like, laptop orientation. I'm surprised I wasn't late. You were late because I met Lauren first. So you were late. <laughs> okay, you were that, late. That makes sense. Um, so <laughs> basically day one, I met my two best friends probably for the rest of my life, uh-huh. um, Lauren and Adriana. And we had to configure our laptops to meet, the st- like, what they needed us to do. And the rest was kind of history. Um, I mean – if you follow me, you know this is not where I actually thought that I would be. Um, I thought that I was going to law school to do family law. Oh, I remember that. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, my parents – and uh, Carrie, Tim, I love you. You all know that I apologize <laughs> on the regular for putting your entire personal <laughs> life on blast. It was not my intentions, but it's part of the story. Um, my parents got divorced after like almost 20 years of being married when I was in high school. And it was fine for me. I mean, I, I was – like, thank God. Sick of the chaos. The chaos. Lots of tension. But my sister, who just moved to Tampa recently, she did not accept it as well. And it really affected her. She was still in middle school. I was in high school. And those were like the, you know, your really intense years. And so my dad kind of, I was going to say Irish exited, but that's not the right word. Um, just wasn't around as much as, you know, he, my mom was. My mom had full custody, kind of, and he just had a visitation. So it really affected her negatively, and it kind of just, like, really hurt her. So I always thought that I would want to help the kids and help people who couldn't be heard. So when I was in law school, I got an internship opportunity to work at a criminal defense firm in Tampa. And I took it, mm-hmm. and I never left. 
And here we are, literally so eight, over eight years later, Doing partner. the same type of law as two people who are, like, we were friends, but we're different. But it's like, it's and it's a very nuanced area, right? Because we're not doing criminal defense. I think a lot of people misunderstand that. I think they think that we're defending, mm-hmm. right, the client from the get-go. And what's happened here is that all of our clients, their cases have been settled, right? They're final. And what that means is that the jury decided they're guilty or they were their client, right? And then they had to do what's called a direct appeal. So they took that case and they said anything that the judge did wrong, they took it to the Florida Supreme Court and the Florida Supreme Court denied it. And that after that point is when Rachel and I get those cases. And we're basically their last resort. Yeah. There's some caveats in my area because there's a couple other agencies that are now like we're doing post-conviction on post-conviction, but you have people whose lives are at stake. So I, I understand the importance of that. And there's... There's a lot of things to be said on that, but but that's that's basically where we start. Yeah. I mean, my first client, it's kind of funny now in hindsight because I spent a whole summer working on one case, mm-hmm. one federal appeal, which I could now do in like three days, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. Um, but I was so invested in this case and this man and his family, and I realized that people just don't want to help. It, it was kind of like – I kind of like compared it to the children, like in a divorce situation, like – the kids, nobody really knows what they want. They can't really speak for themselves. People in prison, it's a very small percentage of people who want to help them or can help them. And people just don't really understand that. And they're not willing to understand that. So I was like, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Loved it, stuck around, and here we are. Yeah. And even more than that, I'm just going to swing for it. So the people in prison are basically like modern day slavery because they pay them yes. seven cents an hour to work. Less than that sometimes. And on top of that, they are filling prisons that are owned by private entities that are making money by the amount of prisoners in there. So those individuals also give really big contributions to the state legislatures, which, by the way, make criminal laws and criminal sentencing and all of the enhancements. So what you really see is a system that instead of taking people who are doing things that are harmful and helping them not do it again, all we're doing is taking people, kids, for the most part, that are doing things because they haven't had a lot of access and health in their life. We're condemning them for it. And then we're making money off of them by paying them nothing. And then we're, we're, we're not teaching them any skills. And we're just keeping them in there and building more prisons and packing them. And then they're making contributions to the politicians who are making those laws. So that's also happening. Too. So this is super funny. Okay. <laughs> this, this is not funny, but this just shows you guys how different Adriana and I are. I are? I are? Is that, that sounds politically weird. Or Sounds wrong. Grammatically. <laughs> Grammatically weird. Okay. So yeah. I 100% agree with everything that she just said. But that's just like where our brains go. Like this is like somebody that was like honestly like t- you wanted to be like a lobbyist. You were like all in the – I loved politics. Like, I you're, hate politics now. But do you? Yeah. I mean literally what you just said is the most political statement that you could say. But it is because – but what's happened to politics is that we've become a facade and we've become a rea- reality TV show. And it's become I'm going to pull my constituents. What do I say? No, no, no. You don't ask what you say because of what people want to hear. You ask what you say because what do you believe? What is right? What is your experience in the world given you that you should look at this and do something different? And that's not what that's become. So the law to me became a solace because it was something that was real and politics isn't real. I can take that back one day, but for now, I won't. We'll ask her the same question in like a year. A year from now. <laughs> if we're still here telling our story. Hey, maybe we've helped. Who knows? So, yeah, so that's actually kind of funny. So, this is kind of totally off base, but going off of that same thing is like people don't realize how close politics, though, and like the criminal system actually are. Like, for example, this year in Florida, there was a a bill that was up that would reduce, just like federal prisons, a state prisoner sentence from 85% to 65%. Every inmate in the state of Florida literally thought it was being passed. I have people still calling my office thinking that it's passed. There's a lot of jailhouse lawyers, by the way. Yes. They're a lot of fun. We love them. Mm-hmm. They tell our clients a lot of stuff. Yes. They <laughs> yes, are they getting – they're going home tomorrow, actually. So on that note, I'm going to say two things, and then we're going to take a break because we're going to lead into the next thing. So – Again, Adriana and I went to law school together. This is Rachel. If you guys don't follow me on TikTok, I'm sorry for your loss. If you don't follow Adriana. Don't because I don't have a TikTok. Don't follow her on TikTok. I do, but her life of. is extremely interesting on Instagram because I, Instagram's fun. She TikTok, like floats through the air. She floats floats through the air. She dances. I'm she also dances like a, a decade lot. older than Rachel. So it's like easier for you to like I, I don't I don't get to she'll teach me. TikTok. I am literally three years younger than you. No, you're not. 
Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Just kidding. But she's not, so that's fine. But on that note, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about why Adriana decided that on some planet she thought it would be a great idea to represent people who are on death row, who are going to be executed if she fails, and why I personally, professionally, all the things could not ever do that. And But still does incredibly amazing stuff for her clients and the justice system. No, of course. So. But there is a very, very big difference in how we handle it, how we deal with that in our lives and all the things. So you guys can understand that. So we'll be back in a few minutes. And yeah. My hint is glitter, by the way. Holy shit. We're here. There we are. Kind of freaking out. No, you're not. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's, I think it's the millions of hours on TikTok videos that have prepared me for this moment. So thank you, TikTok Nation, wherever you are. Um, so yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. If you hadn't caught on yet, this is We Fucking Descent because we actually descent to all of the things in the criminal justice system and all the actual lack of justice, injustice, no justice, all the things. And the court orders that deny us relief when we know we should have it. And that's not always, but that's sometimes. Oh, it's every day. Yeah. Happened today. I was trying to be nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's our, our purpose here is to try to educate you guys and hopefully provide you with some information that will help you understand why the system has gotten to where it is and how we can hopefully change it moving forward. So... <laughs> why so a really big thing that people always ask me is what kind of cases am I not willing to take and when I first thought about this question I was like I will take any case I will take a case where you chop someone's head off where you literally assaulted a child I just don't really look at the facts as indicative of whether I will take it or not but then as I started to think about it I realized that the cases that I will never take is actually a capital case which is what Adriana does which is why this is so interesting because our worlds are very similar, but they are very different because of that. So why – I'll let you go first because I think why you can take them and then how you handle them is extremely interesting and important. And then we'll talk about my sob story about why I can't because that's super emotional and we'll save that for like the last people that are still (laughs) listening and want to cry themselves to sleep. (laughs) Well, I think part of the problem too is that I can emotionally dissociate pretty well, honestly. It's it's not just because, and I'll I'll say all the other stuff I do, but it's um, it's really hard for somebody who gets very very invested in each individual outcome to do the type of work that I do, because not only do we lose, and we lose not just because you know the law is against us, and this is where this is going to get a little complicated, because in a lot of other areas of law, the law matters, in death penalty litigation. The law really doesn't. So even when you're legally right, and I I could have found out something and spent months researching it and be completely prepared to argue it, and I just did in front of the Florida Supreme Court, and it doesn't matter because what my client did was so bad, right? And so that's hard. Um, I will say the hardest thing for me is looking at the facts of the case. I have a hard time looking at pictures. I have a hard time talking to family members who really love those individuals as much as the victim's family is hurting, they're hurting, um, and the people themselves. So why do I do this? I don't know. I got asked to. I started to, and now I'm doing it. Um, What do I do to balance it? I do (laughs) Ariel. What's Ariel? Well, first, okay, first I was a yoga teacher. And then what did you do though? You literally started like your own no. So I yeah. So first I did yoga teacher training um, at a yoga studio that I did that I practiced yoga at for ten years. During my yoga teacher training, I met one of my best friends, Lauren Nunn. Lauren Nunn started doing aerial uh, aerial arts, so that's circus. You know when you see Cirque du Soleil and you see people hanging on fabrics and stuff and spinning around in the air. That's that's what we do. Um, Lauren asked me to try this stuff with her. And the first time I did Ariel, I said, I'm too old. This hurts. It does hurt. By the way, circus hurts really bad. Um, And two years later, I did it with her again and I fell in love with it. And that was about three years ago. And I started to train. I started to perform. 
and I started to um, get hired for professional gigs. The first professional thing I ever did was I was a fairy in a Midsummer Night's Dream at the Job Site Theater, which is located at the Strat Center, which if you're not from Tampa, you don't know, but that's the Performing Arts Center um, in, in downtown Tampa. And I got to ride there every night, and I got to get dressed up and get on stage, and I realized how much that lit my heart on fire and how much I needed that part of my life to, to do the heavy stuff that I have to see. So anyway, I'm an aerialist. I'm a performer. I love fire. I do fire dancing with like fire props. Um, I do, I'm a yoga teacher. I've studied quite a bit of yoga. That's kind of the underpinning of it all is meditation. It's breath, it's movement. It's not doing pretty poses or handstands. Yoga is so much more than that. Um, this is why we're not the same, right? Okay. I want you all to understand this. I'm sitting here just thinking about how – oh, God, this sounds terrible. <laughs> Continue. Well, it's funny. So where we're recording the podcast right now, I just – two weeks ago, maybe, before even we even knew this was happening, I, two rooms over, just did a art exhibit with one of my incredibly talented artist friends, Emily Tan. And Lauren and I, whom I mentioned earlier, she and I basically – Emily does drip paintings. We rolled around in paint on a canvas. She painted us, and we had about, you know, 50 people in the room. How and many people – I want to know. How many people will pay for me to get naked and lay on a piece of paint? Because I just feel like uh, – A lot. I, I don't know if I want <laughs> to know the answer. Did you open the option out there for the planet? <laughs> Let us know because, I mean, I, I'm – if you want my naked body on a canvas, I don't know. We were not naked. Let me <laughs> – Clarify this is several times. We had a live audience and we were not naked. You were <laughs> just here two weeks this. ago. You do these things. Did an art show here. So the fact of the matter is, is that I have a whole other life as a performance and a movement artist. And I don't want to call myself, well, I'm a yoga teacher, but it's also like it's healing. Movement is healing. Breath is healing. All of it comes together into one. And I am able to take care of myself to do the job that I do and to be there for my clients and for their families and to deal with really horrific facts and really, really severe mental illness, which we're going to talk about on different episodes, um, in a way that I can also not take it on, refill my own cup and be able to continue to like keep giving back to do stuff like this that I think will ultimately like help all of us one day, especially the criminal justice system. Um, yeah. How... Okay, so this kind of goes into like what I – why I can't, but I want to know like your perspective before I talk about it. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the possibility – and again, so we've only been practicing for seven years. Right. Yeah, we're not – we're not like really that – Y'all, we're young. We are hot. We are lawyers. cool. We're baby lawyers still. We're still young lawyers under 35. I still feel like I'm pretending to be an attorney most times. We will literally talk about imposter syndrome at one point because that's yeah. my whole life. So um, don't feel bad, law students. No. Don't. But, I still feel that way. Oh In front of the Supreme Court, I felt that way. I was like, oh, this is cute. Justice Kennedy is really asking you a question right now. But how do you deal with the possibility that if you fail, someone will literally – I don't want to say it's a cause because you didn't cause it, but because you could not fix it. You could not change the circumstances. How do you deal with the fact that they will die because of that? Because it's not my fault. It's the system's fault. It's a system's fault. For the most part, they're there. Um, Most of my clients on death row are so incredibly ill and not just ill. So understand that like we have mental illness, we have schizophrenia, we have bipolar, we have, you know, narcissism, personality disorder. We have a lot of things. Okay. But what even that forms from is not just our brain chemistry, which is formed, by the way, in utero. So if, if people's parents don't have adequate nutrition or counseling, or water, or rest, or a lot of things. It actually is. She's staring at me because I don't drink water, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's Enough, that water. <laughs> Enough water. Enough um, water. You know, that, that has an impact. And for the most part, um, our justice system doesn't, a, a, legally, we don't treat criminal defendants well. We've also, as a society, not allowed a lot of my clients as children the opportunity to heal. And now they've done really horrible things to people. So the very uh, long-winded answer to your question is it's not my fault. All I can do is stand up and do the best that I can and make sure that I make the arguments that one day we'll come back and change it because one day we we will not have a death penalty. We won't. 
it's it's cruel it's inhumane it do, it, it is not what the eighth amendment imagines it should not be here so all i need to do is make sure that my clients cases last as long as possible until that point happens that's why so, so i don't care about the wins or the losses they don't matter to me we need to do like a whole thing on like the length of time and why it's so long on death penalty cases. So, but that's, oh no, I have that as too like the, the <laughs> yeah. progression because we have to go through the entire state system and that's like six. Like it's mandatory appeals, so it's People not like things that, that I'm like. It's mandatory appeals, and it's not like stuff I could just come up with. Like it's very specific issues I'm allowed to raise, and I have to tell that to my clients a lot because they'll think of something, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, you're in. The, I haven't had your case. Yeah. Right. I get a lot of cases. Most of my my client who I started with. I am just now getting to federal court and it's been three and a half years. As soon as they get done with federal, as soon as they get done with federal, they're clemency eligible. They, they design the system for defendants to fail. Um, they don't allow their attorney who has been working on the case for several years that have gotten them through the state and federal system to represent them in the clemency proceedings. They hire separate counsel. The reason that's problematic is because of somebody that doesn't know them and doesn't know the case and has no idea, <laughs> no idea what needs to be argued. They don't talk to us. They just do the clemency and the governor denies it. It's all political. So all that whole politics. I said I didn't want to be in Again. politics. Guess what? I'm in politics. This is what this, this is. Um, so, you know, that that fails. And then after that, they're what's called death warrant eligible. Now, that's why you hear stories about people who are on death row for 20, 30, 40 years even. That's because they've just been sitting in clemency. Because the governor is the one that can all of a sudden decide a warrant. Well, and and I think that there were like there's a reason I didn't say names on those just because it's just that I'm trying to be overly cautious. Yeah. And then on top of that, like it's just it's more of the effect of like you know I have a lot of people who have done a lot of stuff and have told a lot of stories, and what it does is it kind of puts light on the justice system and of all the things that we're trying to fight for fairness, and there is no fairness. There is no fairness here. We don't we don't teach children like we don't um, allow for the healing for kids and for young adults to be able to have them be functioning members of of society. So, have you? Oh, this feels like a like a question and answer, but it's because I'm. That's my question is going to no, lead I, into I, why I do what I do and why I can't do what you do. Right. And have I you, know there's a reason, so I, I, I'm, I love to I don't know if you even know the reason. I don't. I like I've heard it. I'm interested. Which is like so crazy because I – I love it. I don't really – I didn't know this was my reason before it was my reason, but so I'm going to ask you. Have you ever had – because like a lot of your clients have mental health problems, of course, and mental illness comes into a very, very large role. Have you ever had a client that you've been like worried that they will take their own life or – you know, they, they don't want to wait to be executed, that they would rather, and this is, could be a full-blown episode, I'm sure, but just like in the, in the summary version. I've had two. And for someone to say, I would rather die than live this is such a powerful thing to hear. Um, because. On that, I'm going to, um, <laughs> that's not. What a fucking sound effect. Yes. Sorry. Um. Not sorry. Yeah, it, uh. There are some people who want to give up, and I don't know that I blame them. But on the other side of it, and I will just say, and I'm not going to say names again, and the reason we're not saying names is not to try to be mysterious or be anything, or even just like the attorney-client privilege, but like I want to be able to share these. Well, I also want to be able to share these stories, and it's going to be too hard to otherwise. But I, I heard one of the most profound things I've ever heard from a death row inmate. You ready? This man looked at me, and he said, I decided to not be negative. I'm in a negative situation, and my if my mindset is negative, I'm going to be negative. And he said that he was going to decide to be positive, and his positivity and his lightness has allowed him to – he just got engaged. Cheers, death row inmate. That's a whole other conversation. Cheers. Anyway, um, they have a lot of pen pals. That's kind of what that is. That's how that happens, if anyone's curious. But we, why? we can send out a list of eligible, eligible bachelors. Uh, <laughs> God, no. Adriana knows them all, so <laughs> maybe um, you know it's just it's the mental illness is there, the trauma is there, all of that is there, and then you have these individuals who shouldn't be there, who aren't sick, who haven't done horrific things. It's racism, 
Uh, it's tough. It's tough to see. It's tough to hear. It's tough to live with. But they also give you great moments of clarity about your own life because, damn, I can I can be negative. My mind can get negative. And when I look at how privileged my life is in comparison to, like, a lot of people, but then on top of that, a death row inmate is looking at me and saying, I'm positive. You're positive. You're in a place of people that people could not even fathom. Fathom. Dude. I have to say, I've made a lot of friends this year with people who want to change the system and who want people to understand, like, from their perspective that, like, not everybody's bad, right? Like, we're – just like you and I are not – we're not – some attorneys are terrible. We're going to talk about them. Like, we're not – we're not not going to sugarcoat it here. But, like, what are you doing for your client? Right. Like, why are you taking their money and then doing nothing? Nothing. So – that's all just like so – so you blame the system. It's just so crazy to me because – No, I don't blame even that. I blame the system for making it worse. But it comes down to the fact that like my my clients, when I look through – because what I do when I get their case, I look at their life, okay? I look at their life from – I look at their mom. I look at how their mom was raised. I look at how their, their, their mom's siblings were raised and the adequate nutrition the mother had because I understand this is somebody's life I'm trying to – to defend. So I look at it and I go, okay, well, she didn't get a lot of food. She had no postpartum care. So she just let her child cry for hours on time for the first six months of her life. Okay. Infant is crying and mother can't get up out of bed because she was 13. And her parents were very, very, very religious. And so they felt she had done something wrong and she deserved to learn the lesson. So they refused to interview with the child, but that child is somebody. And guess what? That child grew up and it killed a lot of people. You know why? Because there was a lot of things that happened when that child was growing up that could have been different. And when kids are in class and they're hungry and they don't have clean clothes and they don't have enough water and they're embarrassed, do you know what we do as a society? We send them to the alternative school. We say, you're problem kids. You say there's something wrong with you. And when they start to go to all of these places, and that's not all of them. It's not how that happens, right? It's not every single person that happens to. It's the ones that are in prison now. But when it does, right, which is a lot of them. And a lot of what is happening is because their parents aren't around. They can't afford a laundromat. They can't afford adequate food. The only food they get is lunch at school, okay? Let's be honest. I'm not in prison because I'm a privileged white female. 100%. That was very, very lucky. And I committed so many crimes. I look back. I'm like, I should have been in jail so many times. <laughs> I don't I like mean, the one day. I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to admit anything here. <laughs> I can only say that thank you, Carrie, for keeping me yeah. out of jail. And that happens to a lot of people. And I think that what's really like when you really look at the fact that like a seven-year-old who is hungry, his shirt smells. He can't pay attention. He's nope. focused solely on like how embarrassed and he hates it. So what it. do we do as a system? We take that child. We put him in detention. We put him in suspension. Oh, we send him home so he's to the even, family who has no parents. He's even more isolated Great. than every other white person in Wonderful. school. Wonderful. Do you know what happens? You know, I have I have three clients, three that got into this. a I've, gang. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said that. It's not the it's the more pr- privileged students, and not just that. It's but that's that's not even privileged, man. That's that's that's. That is so, like, we need to help that. Like, how do we say, hey, how do we stop crime and then allow that to keep happening? I, ca- I can't, I can't, like, settle that as a human. But, you know, when you when you have a situation like that and you have the parents, I have several clients who grew up in a family to where one of them was 13 and his three-year-old little brother was shot in front of him and his father just started to beat the shit out of my client for years. So you know what he did when he was 16? He joined a gang. You know what happened? His older gang leader that was the only father figure he ever had told him he had to kill a woman in order to get into it. Then he had an all-white jury as a black defendant in Palm Beach County, and they sentenced him to death. One day, I want to have that man talk to someone somewhere because he is not only incredibly wise at this point, but his his story is heartbreaking. Maybe we'll have and him it on shows here. us it shows us exactly what is wrong. And when people say, "Well, how do we fix this?" Well, kindness, caring, you know, empathy. It's not that it's not that hard. God. Holy fucking pod! Do you want a pedestal? Uh uh-uh. uh should we give Adriana a pedestal? Because no. clearly she <laughs> wants to literally. That's why I climb silk, so I can go in the air. Oof. Again, why we're different. Because <laughs> I believe the same things, but I, I, I rationalize them a little bit differently. 
Yeah. Um, Someone's fine. So we'll, I think I feel like we'll end on my reasons. Yeah, I want to hear yours. I'm ready. And I, okay, so there's one thing that you guys should all know. So Adriana and I were literally best friends. Like we – oh, God. The stories. <laughs> Again, we should have been arrested a long time ago. Um, Not me. I'm an angel. Yeah, okay. Everyone who knows me will laugh at that. It's fine. Yeah, including your mom. Nani, hi. <laughs> your granddaughter is not an angel. Hi, Nani. I'm sorry. I love you. Okay. Um, but we did have like a little bit – we didn't have a falling out per se, but we had personal cir- circumstances, like things in our in our lives after law school that prevented us from being as close as we were during law school, mm-hmm. people we were with, um, partners, friends, you know, life. So for a while we – didn't communicate as much as we do now and so I don't know that she knows this aspect of why I feel this way and no tears allowed today um so when I decided to do criminal defense when I agreed to stay on as a lawyer just in general at my firm you know one of the first questions at my interview was how will you feel about someone that has I always use this example cut someone's head off which I have a client that literally was with someone else who took a sword on the Gandhi Bridge and cut someone's head off and then put it on a cinder block and floated it to the bottom. Like, they sunk it to the bottom. The head? Just the, the head. head. Just, just the head. They thought it was a better idea to just leave all of the – and then they burned the fingers off, which is fine. Fingertips. But so then my client, though, ended up going to the to law enforcement and confessing because he thought that that would help him because it wasn't him. He was just with the guy that did it. Well, it didn't. His co-defendant got a death penalty sentence and he got a life sentence. So when my boss asked me that question, who's now my managing – my partner, I was like, you know, you're kind of shocked. Like, oh, I'm fine with that. <clears throat> like, what? Um, and I was fine with that for a long time. Like, I thought that I could take death penalty cases because – and this is – I mean, you can weigh in if you want because I realize now that – being executed is literally the same as a life sentence, which is kind of interesting because it's worse. It's worse. I know that I know it feels like that, but it's worse because you have to wait to die. And that's what one of my clients explained to me one time. He said, I will stay here. Worse? I will stay here for the rest of my life. What what pain what makes life hard is that at any second they could tell me, so I don't know. Because there's wait, no Okay, time. so you mean you mean that being have a death penalty, like you're waiting to die. Yes. You mean a life sentence is easier because you're just going to live. You're just going to be there and okay. die. Right? You so that, that actually makes moment. me feel better. That makes me feel better. Yes. Like it kind of like re- it kind of like makes me understand why I feel this way. So mm-hmm. you can go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. That was it. That was just my comment That's like, that. And that's kind of what you said about your client. Like I don't want to the, – the two that have felt like they couldn't wait for that mm-hmm. is I, I kind of resonate with that because like – okay, so what's 2021? 2017 or 2018, I met a client. He was so far along in his process. Oh my God. That's he, always the worst. So he was a baby, okay? When um, he was, We'll talk about that too. Yeah. So I'm 31 now. He was probably 26 at the time when I got on his case. He had been in the system. He had been doing this case since he was 20. He had been arrested on something completely unrelated, and he thought that he could help himself by – providing information on another case that he was associated with. There was it was a cuz that's what the state does so that people don't have to actually do detective work. They want you to help them do their job. So they'll give you a lesser sentence so they actually get somebody else to do their work for them. The problem was is that they could never get anyone else in this guy's case. He confessed to being involved with a homicide that was cold in Tampa. And by doing so, he literally incriminated himself and about five other people, but they could never prove that five other people were actually involved. So instead of giving him help on his drug case, they decided to charge him in the murder case. And he went to trial because he had he was just simply someone that was around. And so we'll get into like the principles and like how all that works later. But long story short, he was found guilty. And he received a life sentence at the age of 21. And he was white from Tampa. And he was a rapper. And 
he went through the appeal process. He hired a lawyer, helped him file what we'll talk about eventually as a post-conviction motion, saying his, his attorney was ineffective, who I will say this. This case specifically, his attorney was ineffective and was literally fired from the PD's office here because of this and then came back when I was hired and lied in his proceedings. But long story short, he hired me to represent him at his hearing um, a little bit too late. So, you know, at that point you're kind of just – trying to fix the mistakes of other lawyers and you can only do so much. You have to kind of work with what you're literally given. Mm -hmm. And so we lost. So we lost. We went to the hearing. We lost. Like I said, I just had this like – I just had like this weird connection with this kid. Like he, I looked at him as a kid because he was younger than me. And so I went to the state attorney here. I literally went all the way up. I wrote a letter. I wrote – I set a meeting. Where? In Hillstrap? Yeah, here. Okay. When and I'll Current say and with, with Andrew Warren, like when he first okay. came on, because I was like, "You want to change the system?" I'm like, "This is a kid. You need to change the way this is looked at." Yeah, and, and Andrew Warren is actually like super. Like, no, I I I love him actually. Yeah, yeah, he's a. I know. I I met him one time, and he and I had a conversation about criminal defendants and mental health, and like I was like, "Okay, I fucks with you." Like, my, it was just kind of like my that. whole okay. office. Like, we most most state attorneys do not say things like right. That. Like, Sorry, friends. Before that. I'm not going to say names, but if you do your research, you'll know. I like to, I win. Would have I like to win trials, too. It's okay. I would have never even sent this all. letter. I'm ignoring you. Um, I would have never even sent this letter, but I knew that, you know, it was going to like a, a level playing field. Mm-hmm. And we could not come to an agreement. And he his case was on appeal anyway. So it's kind of like let the, let the scales fall where they lie, right? Like right. if it's going to be a thing, it'll be a thing. Well, it was not a thing, and we lost. And mind you, this just this just kind of needs to be said. This client and I, I had told him like his family didn't have a lot of money. His family wasn't super supportive. He had a girlfriend that had hired me, and I told him I said, "Money aside, it's not an issue." And that's kind of me. Like I don't do this for money. I do this like for the fulfillment and the hope that I can change the future i know that's true yeah it is I know and i mean true. anybody that knows me knows that and anybody that even my clients all know that because i tell them and so i told them i go we will never stop fighting i was like i go i have clients that have weren't even my clients that i still work on their history. I, go, I have clients that are out free that yeah. owe me money if you're hearing this and that is you call me up i'm just kidding i don't care <laughs> um but so he knew that right so the problem was and so I'm not going to ever say his name ever, is that his family did not feel the same way. They It wasn't the same kind of support. So when he lost his appeal, he spoke with his family and spoke to his girlfriend at the time. And there were comments about the lack of support that he would receive because you're fucked. Right. Like you are never getting out of prison. Right. You are going to die in prison. So he was in confinement Probably and he had a cell not. phone. And it was How a little – he in confinement with his cell phone? Oh. Okay. Oh, oh, that will be a whole nother episode because honestly, I can hey, tell you. death row inmates in Florida do have iPads, but in a way, you think that that's okay. They they take advantage of yes. those individuals more than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. So, like, this person that he was at, he was so well known that, like, literally in confinement, an officer was able to give him a cell phone. So, he was able to have a conversation with his girlfriend at the time who told him, you know, and his family, and they talked about the fact that it was, you know – he brought up the conversation, the topics from what I've learned. And, you know, he didn't hear the things that he wanted to hear because, you know, you're all stressed in the moment. It's like the mm-hmm. panic of like, oh, my God, another thing has failed. And there's only one option really left after that, which is going to the federal courts, which I do a lot. And I have one. And, yeah. But but not, it's, it's it's very hard. rare. It's hard to run. Federal court is, is, is the Sahara Desert and your gazelle. You know what? My, I will say this. My law partner told me sometimes we sell hope because you have to continue to be optimistic yeah. because until your options are up, there is still the possibility, right? Yeah. I say that between us. I don't say that to them. No, I would never say it to them either until now. No. I love you guys. Um, oh, my clients can't listen to this. Me neither. So he lost. He has this conversation. He tries to call me. It's on a Monday. <laughs> He tries to call me, but I was literally in court. I wouldn't have answered anyway because I don't answer numbers I don't know. And this is me rationalizing now because I had so much guilt for so long. Um, 
So the next morning, I got a, I kept getting all these like, calls still in the next morning. And I finally got a text from a, another phone number, and it was like, this person, his nickname, killed himself yesterday. Hmm. Yeah. That's hard. It's real hard. I know. It's okay. Hey, feeling things isn't a bad thing. No, I know. So I, I was like, this is like a, I was like, this is, must be like a fake number. So I got a call from an investigator later because, of course, my phone number's on this cell phone that's confiscated. Oh, no. And um, this whole investigation opened up and it was just like super intense and really hard. And then, I'm not going to get into the details, but basically one week later, this is why mental health is so important because one week later, something similar happened with another client of ours, not my client, but I was present with a, an active case here in Tampa where literally like we were literally like called to go there like for a hostage situation mm-hmm. and he ended up killing himself while we were there. Oh and it was like two in 10 days, you know. One person can only take so much, but I realized in that moment, I was like, I could never, like, I, I kind of rationalized it, like, okay, like, my clients can at least still live some life, right? Like, while they're waiting, while they're figuring out if they can still fight their case, innocent or not. You know, yeah. some of them deserve to be, like, they, they think they deserve to be there. They're guilty. Well, but in a system that is a little different than ours, maybe people deserve to be in, but yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's, and it is so different, and that's what we don't understand, but I, I, I realized that I was, I could only continue if I learned to rationalize that I could never be the reason why somebody would die or could die. And I tell all my clients that story. I tell them all. Because I've had clients several since then that have threatened their own lives. And I I cry with them. I'm like, you don't understand, like, the commitment that an attorney takes in your case in your life until it's probably too late. I'm like, because I almost quit. I would have literally never helped the – I mean, hundreds of people after that because I almost – Walked away. Well, and you know what's interesting about that is that that is actually more traumatic than anything I've ever seen in my job. Yeah. And I can imagine how hard and, – and I don't know if it's because my guys have a death sentence, so they become less suicidal, but I almost feel like that's even harder. I, I feel like to me, emotionally, having to look at somebody's case and like in mine, like I have murderers. You don't get a death sentence in Florida unless you've killed no. someone. Especially, and mean, the death sentence probably a dog. They probably killed a dog. No, they can't kill that. You got to kill a human. I mean, if somebody uh, killed a, a dog, do- if somebody killed a dog, no, I, with a dog, though, I also. would that. Not that I care about dogs more than humans. That's not what I'm saying. But like, I love Ava. Ava is my dog, and she is my angel. Like, she is the reason that I am like okay. Like, <laughs> like I can't, I can't even like fathom. Like somebody kills a dog in a movie. I'm done. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Roll Adri out. Like she's puddle of tears. Like it's okay. Um, I almost feel like because life is always harder when we have a grasp of what it could be. And I almost feel like your clients can, can see like, I could get out. Right. It's, it's, I could it's get out. It's hope. So it's like, it's like a, it's like a different level of panic. Possibility. And it's like they'll react, like they'll react to that. But I've never had a client. I've never had a client tell me they're going to kill themselves, yeah. ever in six years. Ten. And you know why I think that is is because it's it it's already settled. Like when we acknowledge things as humans, we can then we can we can um, we can operate. We can like figure out a lot more than we think we can. We can deal with. So here's Rachel's client who has a couple years in prison and he thinks his life is over. Mm. And then in comparison, I have a death row inmate who whose life will literally be much, over. Very much. The state is going to say when he dies. And he looks at me and tells me it's all about your mindset. It's all about staying positive. And when I'm positive, positive things come to you. And I looked at him and I was like, that is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And I'm sitting in death row on a cell with you. Right? So like, Rachel, I think your job in a way is – like, it, it's it's emotionally – I know you think, like, I couldn't I'm emotionally gonna, do that. I'm going to represent capital clients now. Bye. Okay, bye. You can have them. Okay. They're all really sick. Have so fun. are mine. <laughs> yeah, they are. Everybody in the justice system is before they even get in it because we're not just sick because of mental illness. It's not just about our mind or our chemistry. It's about the things that happen to us. Yoga teacher coming out. It's about our trauma. It's about the life we lived and what our parents projected on us and what they taught us. 
and we can all heal. We heal by movement. We heal by breath. We heal by doing the things that we love. We heal, I heal by, by doing TikTok, what. So. But that is what you love, and that is what you're good at. You're funny. You are. You are creative. Educating. You're productive. Like yeah, it's it's it all makes sense, right? It's like at the end of the day, we all find what we love, what we're good at, what lights our heart on fire, which is for me, right? Like performing, fire, aerial, whatever it is. Um. Rachel, like TikTok, creating things, like speaking with all of you, like connecting with an audience. Like it's, it's stuff that keeps us fulfilled because I'm telling you, a lot of our colleagues aren't happy. They aren't. They aren't like Rachel and I. And our clients are only our clients because no one ever gave these people a shot. And we, and have, if, to be, we have to be happy and content with our lives in order to best represent them. So I think that's what's uh-huh. so important. And so now we've decided to do this, which is fun. And on that note, you know, it's so funny. I just got a notification because Adriana and I just talked about the fact that so our moms are the same. <laughs> our and, moms. Hi, Anna. And hi, Carrie. And we said they should <laughs> hang out. And your mom just commented on um, our Instagram post. And she's probably pissed as shit because we didn't really tell her. No, we didn't. We were telling you, we love you. And we're sorry. She would literally be here in the corner doing No, literally. I'm like, like I'm waiting for her to walk in. <laughs> She should have my GPS location on Our there. moms, our moms. Rachel and I are very privileged to have mothers who loved us probably too much, but not in the worst way, right? I mean, um, depends on who you ask and when. <laughs> they are wonderful and they are supportive and they are everything we've ever needed. And not everybody gets that. So we're very lucky to have it. On that note, um, I think – this is going to be the beginning of a very beautiful journey if y'all will stick with us through all of our banter and craziness. I think Sorry. that we have a lot of information that will help people change their perspectives or at least help you understand why we have the opinions that we do. And I think eventually we can make a better – I was going to say world, but that seems a little aggressive. A better system? No, it's better. It's, it's better. It's fine. It's a world. And if anything else, we'll just make you laugh. And cry. Rachel make Clearly and cry. I'm not like the most – I'm not like – I'm not funny. I mean – I'm like – I'm a Sagittarius. You're funny I'm not looking. like funny. Ugh, She's actually not. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll make you laugh. I'll make you cry. And yeah. So – Ta-ta. For yeah, now. Stay tuned. We'll do – so next week – or next week. Next – whenever we decide. I don't know how often we're doing this yet. We haven't actually talked about it. We have that. real jobs, so people. Yeah, we do. Um, but, you know, we really want to get into what is post-conviction for you. This is a case called Strickland v. Washington and Hearst v. State. Um, Strickland is kind of the setting the standard of what post-conviction attorneys or what post-conviction is. Um, and Hearst found Florida's death penalty unconstitutional. So we can kind of talk to you about both of those. So that will be our next uh, topic. And if you have any questions, any comments, anything, um, please reach out to us. We'd love to communicate with you. We'd love to answer your anything you have. Reach out to Adriana, to, not me, because I will not answer you. Oh, I'll, I'll I have forty-seven hundred unread text messages, DMs, messages. So don't message me on TikTok because I don't open that. I will. Ra- Rachel literally we parked and she's like, "I was like, I have twenty followers on TikTok, and I tried to reshare your photo or your video the other day." And she's like, "Oh my god, but you're good at Instagram." I was like, "I know Instagram. I can't." So do find TikTok. her on Instagram. So we'll be fine. Message we'll be her. Fine. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Actually, no. Follow the podcast. We'll respond to you there. Yeah. Perfect. All right? Love that. All right. Love that for us. Bye, you guys. That's all.